When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith, here to talk about Burnley. I write and edit the No Near Never newsletter that goes out via Substack every Monday and it's free, so please subscribe if you'd like to hear more. Hi, I'm Ted. Uh, you can find me hosting the A Tad Predictable podcast on EPL Index. You can find me at Tad Predicts on Twitter. Awesome, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I'm just going to start off with a blanket apology for people that are regular listeners of the show for the last month or so. Life has just largely intervened, but uh, we managed to, to all get together in one place, even though I had a flight earlier this morning. So if I'm a little frazzled, please forgive me. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll start off talking about the transfer window since we haven't had a show since then, uh, partially, hence the apology. Um, I was just curious who you guys thought since the close of the window. Uh, who do you think uh, won the window? And is there a club that you think particularly... Uh, left themselves a lot of work to do on the pitch because they didn't do enough of it. Yeah, well, I think it's not to um, dump on your topic idea, but I think it's always a bit spurious to talk about who won the window, right? Because it's... Sure, very early. Players and fees and like you've got to see how it all shakes out. But um, there's a few teams that I think had pretty good windows, added to the squad in the right way, sold well. Um, I don't want to talk about all of them because I don't want to steal Tad's thunder and I don't know who he's going to talk about but I actually think Tottenham had a, a really strong window. I think there was the the possibility for the Harry Kane stuff to completely overshadow their summer and they've got the new manager coming in, Andrew Postacoglu. Um, I think Postacoglu's already put a stamp on how he wants Tottenham to play and to be honest, I don't think Kane was going to fit that particularly well as Kane gets older and more knackered and his ankles work even less, he wants to play deeper and deeper and dictate play. From what I understand of Postacoglu's tactics, and Kev, you'll have a deeper understanding of this, but I've, I've seen Tottenham already this season, be very impressed yep. with Turf Moor. Um, they want a penalty box type striker to finish off their attacking moves and Kane doesn't seem to want to be that sort of player anymore. Interesting to see how he gets on at Bayern, who seems to want a penalty box striker. But yeah, I'm not convinced Kane was a very good fit there. So while I'm sure Postacoglu and Spurs fans would have rather had that done earlier in the summer, uh, they got good money for him. I think around 100 million is a fair price for Kane at his age. And they seem to have invested it quite well. I think the danger when you sell a star player, the sort of icon of the club, is that you try and spread yourself too thinly. You can't necessarily go out and buy a £100 million striker to replace Kane, so you have to try and spread the money around. Spurs have obviously got experience of doing this before, right, with Gareth Bale. 
they had a few misses with that money, a couple of hits. Christian Eriksen was one who came in with the um, with bail money, wasn't it? So they, they should know what they're doing with this kind of situation. Um, and when you consider some of the fees that have gone for players this summer, I think James Madison, 40 million, has the potential to be one of the best bargains around, which is not to say a 40 million pound player, but when you look at the market for central midfielders, defensive midfielders in particular this summer, the fact that Madison is a proven Premier League talent, a guy who's played for England, albeit not very often, 40 million for Madison, who's going to replace Kane's sort of creativity, if not his goal scoring, seems to be an absolute steal. The jury's out on the new goalkeeper, but some of the defensive additions seems to be pretty exciting as well. And in Brennan Johnson, they've added that sort of X factor in attack as well. So I think Spurs are in decent shape to have a much better season than last year. And Considering the the Kane situation, I think they've had as good a window as could have expected, really. Yeah, definitely. Spurs are one of the teams that you look at. Um, I think another team that also sold a player for quite a bit of money, West Ham, I think had a a decent window, considering they knew they were losing Declan Rice um, heading into this window. And then you sort of worry about them because it seemed like the manager had certain players that he wanted and then the new technical director had certain players that he wanted. It seems like they've made a blend of it. Um, there's some players in there, you know, James Ward-Prowse, et cetera, where you think maybe Moyes wanted him in um, with how Moyes plays with the set pieces and stuff. But then you have signings like uh, Kudus and Alvarez from, from Ajax. Maybe that's more the, the technical director getting involved. But yeah, considering they had the... Declan Rice money, um, everyone knew they had that money. They could have been rinsed um, throughout the entire window, but I think they've made some some pretty decent signings that should help them out uh, in the long term. Maybe not short term whilst they gel in, but certainly in the long term. Um, but yeah, Ward-Prowse has been quite short term in terms of his impact. He, he's already helping them. Um, and then I'm going to say Nottingham Forest had an interesting window. Obviously, they had the five billion signings that they did last time around. Um, Seems the same thing happened this year. Uh, Maybe influenced by, you know, the Brennan Johnson move to Tottenham late in the window. It allowed them to get a a couple of players in uh, Sangare and obviously Callum Hudson-Odoi came in quite late for them. But yeah, Origi came in on loan as well from AC Milan. I think they've, they've done some interesting stuff and considering the form of um, Owani, they could be quite uh, an interesting team. And obviously the goal for them would be staying up again this season. If they can do that, I think they've got a really good building block uh, and, and set of players that they can move um, move forward on next season. I think the last team I'm probably going to mention is Man City because I don't think any other team in the league has done enough to close the gap to Man City. So from that perspective, I think Man City, are, you know, they come out of the window as, as winners. Um, they obviously were busy. I mean, ridiculously good defense last season. And they only go and add Josko Gvardiol to it, which is just uh, almost unfair. But yeah, um, obviously Doku comes in, Kovacic comes in. Maybe Kovacic comes in to try do what uh, Gundogan was doing last season. Matthias Nunez comes in, who was quite... Um, lively last season as well so look they, uh, City have now gotten to that point where they don't need to 
break the bank to to try and sign players because now they have that reputation and players want to come play for them. Um, obviously, at the beginning, they needed to bring convince the players to come in. They don't really need to do that anymore. And then also, if you look at the the funding that they've put into their academy, a lot of the academy players end up funding most of these moves anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think for City, fantastic window in terms of what they've done individually and then also looking at the rest of the league and wondering if anyone's closed the gap to them. I, I don't think they have. And as I mentioned, West Ham and um, Nottingham Forest were, were shots there. Gotcha. Some some uh, great picks there and especially biased towards the Tottenham one. And I do agree with you, Jamie. It was nice to finally get that over with, but people have already heard two episodes of Kate Talk. So I'll, I'll spare everyone. The short version, though, is yes, you're absolutely right. The Tottenham do need somebody to just be in the box and also make runs to stretch the defense a bit more than Kane can do it. 31 with those ankles and also his general athletic profile. Um, on the other side, are there teams that you think maybe maybe didn't do enough to maybe ensure your safety or ensure European football or something like that? Yeah, I think uh, there's probably Aston Villa fans listening who are like, whoa, what about us? What about us? And uh, again, Villa are a team I've seen already. Villa had a very good window. I think DRB's going to be one of the stars of the season. So I think we miss us to, to miss them out. In terms of Worst windows. I think it's really difficult to go beyond Wolves. Um, it seems like the financial situation at that club has just made it very, very difficult. They've obviously lost the manager. Gary O'Neill has come in. He's got a very difficult job, sort of similar to the situation he inherited last summer. Um, and you look down the list of players that they've signed. I'm seeing someone called Tom King from Northampton on a free. Exciting. Um, it seems First like they've 11, sold out. Surely. Oh yeah, uh, it seems like they've sold basically anything that wasn't nailed down. Right, um, Ruben Neves going to going to the Saudi league. I'm, I think we're going to come on to the Saudi league, but that's one of the few players who's in his sort of prime years to lose Neves, a guy who was touted for going to Barcelona or Manchester United a year ago. Going to go to Saudi for not that much money in the grand scheme of things it was a bit of a red flag, I think, if you're a Wolves fan. Then the boss Nunes to Man City as well. One of the deals that some of that I can't really get my head around as a Burnley fan is Nathan Collins leaving Wolves for Brentford. Wolves picked Collins up for about 18, 20 million last summer. And he had a pretty good first season at Wolves, the sort of player that you can probably build a defence around and hopefully rely on for for years to come. And this summer they've sold him to Brentford for a small profit on last year. Um, from what I gather, Wolves are in a really sticky situation when it comes to FFP. They've overspent in the past. They needed to have a summer of profit just to balance the books, really. It really looks like that's what they've done. Um, from an accountancy point of view, maybe that they've had the summer window that they needed, but from a putting a team out on the pitch to stay in the Premier League point of view, I think they're going to find it really difficult. Um Obviously, from a Burnley perspective, we have to look at Wolves as one of the teams that we need to finish above now. I think they're in for a difficult season. And when one of your star signings is bringing back Matt Doherty on a free, I think that, that sums up where Wolves are at right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, we did a reckless prediction podcast on um, our podcast where before the transfer window closed, we, we sort of try and make spicy hot take picks uh one of mine was that wolves would get relegated and yeah i'm I'm feeling slightly confident about that although it does seem like gary o'neill has done well to sort of 
get everyone on board, which which I wasn't sure he was going to to be able to do. So that that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, for me, in terms of disappointing windows, I think I have to look at Fulham. Um, obviously, you lose Mitrovic, which is massive for them because he was guaranteed goals for them. And, and as we know, first thing for, foremost, you need goals if you want to stay in the Premier League. And I don't know if if they've done enough to to replace all the goals that he that he had. Obviously, the likes of Jimenez have come in. Whether or not that's going to be enough, we will see. Um, Iwobi coming in was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, some of these signings, okay if the rest of the squad is good. Like uh, Iwobi coming in as a squad depth player is, is great. But if he has to come in and has to deliver and has to be an important player, maybe that's a bit more worrying for me. So yeah, they've lost a lot of goals. I don't think they've re- replaced them. And it's, it's going to be tricky for them to to stay up this season. Another one I'm going to mention is obviously Everton, the club that Iwobi has come from. I don't know how many times they need to circle, you know, the drain in terms of getting relegated for them to realize, okay, we need to actually sort this team out. I I kind of have no sympathy for them when they have situations where season after season, they have to rely on the fitness of DCL. We all know DCL is going to get injured at some points during the season. Obviously, you don't wish injuries on players but we know it's going to happen based on president for them to not address that as as well as i thought they could have it should be a bit disappointing and worrying for them um we'll see whether or not they will get enough goals this season but yeah it it just seems like they're going to be stressing about his fitness throughout the the entire season um they bring in the likes of danjuma on loan whether or not they're going to have enough of an impact we will see uh, but yeah, I, I'm worried about Everton and maybe this is now just they've pushed it one season too much in terms of um, risking whether or not they're going to stay up. And perhaps, um, obviously Everton fans won't want to hear it, but perhaps maybe the the ownership have looked at the situation and said it might be better to go down. Um, go down, get rid of a lot of these players that are on big wages and try and come back straight away. But as we've seen with many clubs, it's not it's not that easy to just bounce straight back up. So it's certainly a gamble. Um, but yeah, I think Everton are one of those teams that could get relegated. And and speaking of teams that could get relegated, maybe I'll throw it to you guys because I think they've they've done well in terms of what I think their ambitions are. Um, but Luton, I don't think they've done enough to stay in the Premier League, but I think they've done enough to secure their squad to try and get back into the Premier League again next year when they go down, which for me is is a great strategy for clubs that are maybe not as financially powerful as other clubs where get the promotion over two seasons, so to speak, and then in that third season, try stay in the Premier League. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of them sort of realizing where they are and saying, look, we're probably going to go down, but what we're going to do is we're going to secure a team that is going to be strong enough to get us back into the Premier League, uh, you know, next season after we get relegated. And then we're going to try and stay in the Premier League after that. I I don't know if you guys agree with that sort of strategy or, or if that's, or if they should have maybe done more to try and just stay in the Premier League this season. 
I think it's a good point. I think um, Burnley have done something similar in the past, right? The first time we got promoted to the Premier League, it was a bit of a surprise. We came up through the playoffs. No one was expecting it. Um, and we came straight back down, having had to change manager mid-season. But then the second time, um, when we got promoted on Sean Dyche, came down straight away. It was that kind of thing. We had the team in place and then romped to the championship title and then had six, seven years in the Premier League. So I think it's a viable strategy if you get it right. Um, I think you're right that Luna probably just first and foremost bank the Premier League money. I think it's Luton have unique challenges in that they have to get players who want to go to Luton uh, and be in a relegation battle. Yes, players always want to play in the Premier League, but not necessarily for, for Luton. Especially a team um, that have that sort of old-fashioned... I don't want to be... I don't want to sound too critical, Luton, because it's a style that worked for Burnley for quite a long time, but Burnley, by the end, were basically the only team playing that sort of football. And this season, Luton are going to be basically the only team playing that sort of football. Very sort of physical, in-your-face, reliance on set pieces. Um, and it got them out of the Championship and all credit to them, but I'm not sure it's going to work at a higher level. But they've signed players who are going to be outstanding in the championship next season. So I think they've, they've certainly done business this summer with with next season in mind. But the proof has to be in the pudding, right? Luton probably will go down this summer, and then it's a question of whether they're combined back. You can only judge whether or not it's been a successful strategy. If they get promotion next season, that's got to be their aim. Yeah, I, I do think we have seen that a fair few times. That I definitely think you're onto something of like a, a side getting promoted, buying a bunch of like some of the better or best championship players and then just going down and then doing well in the championship. Uh, and also, uh, your point about Everton might maybe needing to go down to get rid of some of their players brought me to another side question, if if you'll permit me, which is, does it seem like it is getting harder and harder for clubs to actually sell players at like the bottom, I don't know, quarter of their squad where they're like on wages that are too high and prohibitive for them to move abroad and are like, choosing to not play football and keep the wages rather than going to places where they can or clubs just permaloaning people for like four or five years so the contract runs out or like Nicolas Pepe having to just cancel the contract it just seems like that's happening more and more from my eye I think you're right and I think it's partly the financial might of the Premier League right we're going to come on to the Saudi League next but I think the Premier League is so financially powerful compared to every other league in the world you've got teams like Crystal Palace who had Wilfred Zaha on £100,000 a week or something and offered him £200,000 a week to stay and he decided to go somewhere else. Um, okay, that's an example that's not quite relevant to what you were saying in terms of moving players on. But it just shows that if you have a, a top player, you can pay them more than anyone in any other league. Like, there's teams at the top of La Liga or the Bundesliga, certainly in France, that aren't paying players anything like what Zaha was on at, at Palace. Um so I think you're right. There's stockpiling players is certainly something that's becoming more evident in the Premier League. I think you look at Chelsea as an example who've done that. What Chelsea are going to do with all these players that they've signed, I have no idea. Maybe someone at that club knows what they're doing. I'm not sure they do. Um, but yeah, moving on these players when they get older and their contracts are bloated, it's it's going to be tricky and unless they can sort of palm them off to the Saudi League, which might be what they're trying to do in January when the Saudi League is trying to sign players again. 
I think there are going to be a lot of clubs in difficult position financially when they've got these bloated squads with experienced players on good Premier League wages that essentially hardly anyone else in world football wants to pay. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly get on to the, the impact of the Saudi League. But in terms of the Premier League itself, I think if you look at... Um, I think Dombele is a perfect example of, of, of what you're talking about, where Tottenham signed Dombele. He signs on a massive contract. But no disrespect to Tottenham, Dombele is not coming to Spurs unless they offer him that big contract. And so a lot of clubs are going into those situations where they want to sign a player... They're interested in a player. But because the Premier League is so competitive, we have to have that player to sort of, you know, be competitive or reach our goals. But we have to overpay for them in wages. Yes, we know um, the, the, the Premier League famously overpays for players in terms of transfers, but they also massively overpay in terms of wages. And unless you overpay, you're not going to get those players. So either... You have to overpay for players or go with sort of like a Brighton or a Brentford route where you're trying to find the player. So you're trying to find Dombele before he became Dombele at Lyon. Like, you, you've got to pick a struggle. Um, and a lot of the Premier League teams don't necessarily have the depth in terms of um, their recruitment departments where they can go find players like Brighton seem to find or like a Brentford seem to find or like what a Liverpool used to do in the past. So it ends up being we have to just pay whatever that player wants to come to us. And then it's difficult to move those players. So the loan market has become really, really enticing for Premier League teams where, okay, we can send the player out on loan, recoup most, if not all of the wages that, that we would be paying them and get some sort of revenue from from loaning them out as well. If we can do that over the course of their contract whilst waiting to find a permanent deal for them, that's one way that they're going to be able to sort of alleviate those those massive wages that they have to pay. And probably something uh, Chelsea will be looking to do. I, I know, James, you've mentioned, um, Jamie, sorry, you've mentioned, uh, you know, a question on how Chelsea will do it. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those players end up going on loan um, in order to sort of alleviate some of that that strain that they're going to have. All right. Um, you already uh, teased it twice now, Jamie, so we may as well get into it now. Part of the solution for this, for clubs this this summer, was the Saudi League coming in and being able to to pay not only Premier League wages, but like yearly wages weekly. Um, obviously, people have some moral issues with it. Uh, from a club finance perspective, it's obviously been massively helpful to clubs that have overstock piled on players uh what have you guys made of of kind of the arrival of the saudi pro league uh on the global stage as one that is apparently at least a financial force yeah i mean i think it's it's difficult to get into the morals of it isn't it i mean saudi arabia are well within the rights to try and establish a, a football league whether it constitutes sports washing i think is probably up for debate for me it definitely is but from a football perspective um i think it's clear that they intend the Saudi Pro League to become a major player. I think they're spending on players in in a way that we've maybe not seen in a sort of minor league since the Chinese Super League, right? Um, that obviously went very badly, but largely down to the impacts of COVID. Um, there's a lot of players went to the Chinese Super League, earned a lot of money, kind of got stuck there, Teams have had to be shut down because of the, the impact of, on the finances of the pandemic. 
Um, so assuming that there's no repeat of that sort of freak situation that hits the Saudi Pro League, they've got almost limitless financial backing, right? The way that they've sort of split the league into two parts now, the, the clubs that are backed by the state, the four, the sort of power four, the traditional big four in, in Saudi Arabia and then the rest of the league. I think what was interesting about the players that have signed from, from European clubs, I've just read it's it's 37, which over one summer is a lot, but the way people have been going on about the Saudi League, you'd think it was hundreds, right? Um, so relatively few players have gone this summer. I'm sure more will go in January, like I said, but it's relatively few. And in terms of the big fees, you're looking at Neymar going from PSG. PSG wanted rid of Neymar. That suited them. Um, and then the Neves deal, which I've mentioned. Neves is a real rarity in this summer's deals with the Saudi Pro League as a player who's probably got his best years ahead of him. He'll probably see Saudi as somewhere where he can go for a couple of years and then come back to a top team in Europe. Um the Saudi League is going to face a lot of the same challenges as as other sort of upstart leagues. And you can maybe include MLS in that, right? And that experienced players coming towards the end of their career will be happy to go there for a payday. Whether the football's competitive enough to to keep them in international squads. We've had a big debate here in England about Jordan Henderson and whether he should have been in the England team after deciding to go to Saudi Arabia for the money. Um so I think there's a lot of ways it could shake out, but I suspect for the next two to three years, the sort of short term to medium term, we're going to see a lot of players going to Saudi Arabia who their teams are quite happy to let go. The Mitrovic one that Tad mentioned stands out as one where the team really wanted to keep him and the player decided he was off. Um, so I think for now, teams are going to see the Saudi Pro League as somewhere where they can sort of ship out unwanted goods. I think probably the biggest worry for the Premier League was the fact that the Saudi League's window closed after the Premier League um, window closed. And let's say if you had that Mitrovic situation, but it played out a week after the Premier League window closed, what what do you do if the player says, I'm never going to play for you again, um, let me go? So, So going forward, it's going to be interesting to see if that continues in terms of the timelines. But yeah, um, I won't necessarily touch on the moral side of things from the Saudi League perspective, but from what they're trying to do, um, and I mentioned it, I think, uh, last year, maybe on, on either on here or on, 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 on my podcast, is they won a team in the, in the Champions League, not just one, they won a couple of teams in the Champions League. And if that's not going to happen, they're going to start their own Super League. So the Super League we saw that that was trying to come in, um, you know, with a couple of Premier League teams and and other top European teams around the world and got quashed. Well, Saudi have basically said to UEFA, give us teams in the Champions League or we're going to start our own. And UEFA are going to have to make a decision on how they go about that. Um, We've seen it play out with the PGA Tour in, in the US with golf where the PGA Tour sort of said, no, you can do one. Um, Any players that go to Saudi Arabia aren't going to be involved in the um, PGA Tour and we're not going to help you guys get a TV deal. And then basically a year later, PGA Tour ended up joining up and linking up with um, um, Golf Live, I think is what it was called. Um, And they get a TV deal and, and, you know, it, it... it's the PGA Tour sort of backtracking and realizing either we join them 
or we're, we're going to start losing out on a lot of money. I think maybe that might happen with the Champions League where they just decide, look, it's better to give them a couple of teams in the Champions League rather than losing out on the likes of, you know, I, I don't know which big clubs you want to add in there, but maybe it's better to go with the, the clubs outside of England. But, you know, the Real Madrid's, the Bayerns, etc. If they then join the Saudi Pro League, and you can imagine some Premier League teams are going to want to be involved in that. It's going to be curtains for the Champions League. So that is the end goal for the Saudi Arabia League. Obviously, we mention at the moment the the squad depth isn't that great for them at the moment. But the difference between what was what China was trying to attempt and what the Saudi League was trying to attempt is there's more of a long-term vision with the Saudi League. They're going to keep pushing. They're going to keep coming back window after window, signing players, We've seen young players going into that league as well, not just old players looking to get a final paycheck. And I, I, I think something as well that, that's going to be quite key is the time difference. I don't think the, the China time difference favoured um, sort of a European market for watching football. The Saudi league does. The time difference is great for, for us. So if they're able to land big TV deals, people are going to end up watching because a lot of players are going to end up there. So it, 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 maybe it's a warning. I don't know what it is, but I, I think that's what the end goal or, or what they're looking to achieve um, with having the league and, and why they've pushed so hard for it. And we've seen it with many other sports. With um, I mean, they've linked up with WWE. WWE now does two pay-per-views every year in, in Saudi Arabia, as I mentioned, with golf. Um, this is something that's very intentional from them. And it's not something that's just going to go away. They're going to keep trying. They're going to keep persevering and pushing until they they get the results that they want. So I, I guess Premier League teams need to need to you know get ready for that. I don't think it's going to be a flash in the pan type of thing. Yeah, that would obviously be a pretty pretty big turn of events either way there. And I think the fear is exactly like you were talking about with like the LIV PGA stuff is. You've already gotten a lot of players and coaches coming out and saying they aren't interested in going there for things like moral reasons. And then if they just end up being in business together with UEFA or something, then you have the same situation where people are turning down like whatever's above generational wealth to not go there. Some people taking advantage of that and then potentially ending up in the same competitions anyway. Yeah, um, I think the, the big thing as well is, sure, you could say no to a contract to go play there as a player for a club there. But if they now join the Champions League, your team has to travel there. How how yeah. far do your, you know, how far does your resilience go? Do you not go to play those games? Will that cause issues for you with your club? It, it's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, perhaps morbidly so. Um, we'll go from that into something that's somehow even worse. Um, talking about uh, Manchester United, who obviously on the pitch have not started the way they'd want. Uh, two wins, two losses through four. But the the just onslaught of off-the-field issues with that club just continue to mount. Obviously, the Mason Greenwood thing, they wanted to bring him back, basically got bullied <laughs> by the press into not doing so, um, but then just ended up loaning him anyway and still keeping him uh, on his long-term contract. <laughs> then now you have the Antony situation, which developed over the last uh, week or so as, as that story kind of broke. Um, and I realize it's a different situation, but I feel like it really highlights a really deep issue here is reportedly the uh, dressing room was really pushing for Greenwood to be reintegrated 
But Jaden Sancho has been dealing with mental health issues of his own uh, accord, is not liked in the dressing room, which makes it just feel really weird about what is important um, to the culture there. So I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, what do you think has gone wrong there culturally? And is there anything that can be done to kind of salvage this kind of nightmare scenario that's been happening around that club lately? Obviously, it's it's difficult to to go case by case because, like you say, it's, there's so much that's going wrong at Manchester United off the field and on the field. I think you're right that it's it's a culture problem at that club at the moment, and it's a failure of leadership for me. We know that the Glazer family have been trying to sell, or they've been open to a sale, and it seems to be dragging on and now there's reports that the sale is off, even though there's a couple of interested parties that have got the money to do the deal. The Glazers, ever since they bought the club, have essentially just treated it as a cash cow. They take out as much money as they can. They don't invest. What money they do spend seems to be spent not sensibly. Old Trafford is crumbling. That stadium needs a lot of investment to sort of bring it up to standard modern standards. You look at teams like Liverpool, who have put a lot of money into turning Anfield into a 21st century stadium. Um, Arsenal, Tottenham have got brand new stadiums playing. Manchester United now lagging behind, even though Trafford's still the biggest. It's it's really, really not a good place to watch football anymore. Um, and that all stems from the fact that the Glazers don't really want to own a football club. They just want to make a lot of money. And so owning Manchester United is a way to do that. I think there's also been a, a sort of chasm in leadership in terms of the manager. Ever since Alex Ferguson's retirement, United have struggled to have that sort of figurehead at the top of the club who commands respect throughout the dressing room, throughout the staff. Um, in terms of the executives, Edward Wood was an absolute disaster. Might have been great at signing commercial deals, but didn't seem to have a clue about the football side. The guy that they've got now was, was Richard Arnold, seems to have made a real mess of the Greenwood situation. He's now doing exactly the same over the Anthony mess. I think if you have one of these situations where your player is accused of the kind of things that Greenwood and Anthony have been accused of, that's bad. If you have two in such a short space of time, I don't know how you go about explaining that. And to handle the Anthony situation in basically the same way as the Greenwood one, it just suggests that they've learned absolutely nothing. I don't understand the conversations that are going on at that club where they've allowed this Anthony thing to drag on. Let's get it straight. The, the first allegations against Anthony came out in the summer. They've not just happened. This this dates back weeks, months, not just a couple of weeks. And they've waited and waited until they had no choice but to suspend him, which is what they did with the Greenwood situation. It just beggars belief. There's just no leadership at that club. The culture seems broken. Things that you didn't even mention in your rap, Kev, like inviting a convicted paedophile who used to be in charge of the women's team to a women's fixture um, it oh, yeah. it just beggars me. I, I don't know how to to explain what's going on there. But if I was a Man United fan, I'd be very very concerned because it just seems like they're not learning anything from the mistakes that they've made. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned a very important point there, where um, you spoke about the fact that this Anthony thing has been there for a couple of weeks now, um, and 
you know, obviously United haven't responded to it or addressed it until it's sort of become untenable, which seems quite similar to what they did with Greenwood, where they didn't address certain things until it became untenable. Um, maybe they need to bring people in, whether it's a, a third party, you know, sort of consultant to come in or hiring people that are probably more sensitive to these situations or more, you know, but it just seems like United do not have the personnel that are able to handle these situations uh, at the moment. The important thing for me, I think, is obviously making sure that any, any victims are okay um, and, and, and our thoughts and prayers are going towards them. But with, with, um, with United, I hope that fans of other clubs aren't point scoring. And you see a lot of that on Twitter. And I, I still call it Twitter and I probably will call it Twitter until the, the day it ends. I'll never call it X really. Uh, but you see fans sort of trying to point score at, oh, look at what Man United are doing. My club could never, or, you know, that type of thing. One thing fans need to know is that every club has skeletons. No, no club is immune to, to this kind of stuff. It just so happens that two Man United situations have come to light. Um, you, you would be surprised at the amount of times this has happened at clubs and clubs have actively assisted in sort of quashing the situation. So let's not point score. It, it, it's, it's not right. Um, I, I think it's actually gross to, to point score in these situations. Um, in terms of, yeah, the Greenwood situation, I, I find it, weird that Man United kept him on board in terms of um, employment. I think the interesting thing with the, the Greenwood thing was that at, you know, and also with the Anthony thing is you have a manager currently, we, you know, we're speaking about the leadership at Man United. Well, from a manager perspective and leadership from a manager perspective, we know Ten Hag has backed someone that has sent inappropriate messages to female colleagues. When Overmars got yeah. booted out of Ajax, Ten Hag was one of the people that wanted him back as soon as possible and was advocating for him. That's worrying. That has to be something that has to be spoken about. I've not seen too many people speak about that issue, but clearly, you know, that has to be, you know, uh, there has to be a level of concern with that perspective. And when you have a club situation like Man United where a lot of the people upstairs are more business people than football people. Then a lot of the football-related leadership falls on the manager. It doesn't fall to the people upstairs. And so Ten Hag will have more authority on these situations. And, you know, it's been widely reported that him, along with, as, as, as Jamie has mentioned, along with, the play, with some of the players, they were ready to welcome Greenwood in. Greenwood was training with the team. Like, but for, you know, the wider public stepping in, Greenwood would be playing for Man United right now. And I'm, I'm glad the public stepped in. And I hope in all situations like this that the public will have a voice and be able to step in, in such situations. But yeah, I, I personally, I think Man United need to either hire someone internally to handle these things or hire some, a, a third party to deal with these things because I don't think that they're capable of handling these things at the moment. 
Yeah, I thought I was bringing up a lot of issues at the club, and you guys have added another two more to, to the pile, which really highlights just how much is going wrong at that club at the moment. Um, hiring an external um, person to come in seems like a pretty good choice. Is, is there anything else they can do? I feel like football cultures last so long because like there's always someone in the dressing room that was part of the previous dressing room, and then that one had someone from the one before. I guess instead of a question, I'm going to make a statement. I don't know how this gets better anytime soon. No, I agree. I think the idea of, of taking external advice is, is probably a good one. There's just been so many missteps. Like To go back to the Greenwood one, the fact that it was reported that they wanted to check with the, the women's team's players who were at the, the World Cup with England therefore putting the pressure on them to be the ones that made the decision when they were trying to win the World Cup led to players getting abused by supporters of Greenwood on Twitter. It just suggests that no one at that club has any idea how the world works as much as anything else. A real sort of naivety on the, the sort of executive side of that club. I mean, I talked about the sort of failure in leadership and Taj had the great example of Ten Hag who's already backed someone in a similar position and wanted to bring back Greenwood. Um, he was still picking Anthony when these allegations were already coming to light. Um, Ten Hag seems to be the kind of Ferguson figure that they were hoping they could rally around and would be the sort of guiding figure through such turbulent times for that club. But he's, he's making bad decisions in terms of not just morality issues, but football decisions as well. So I think we can already perhaps envision a situation where Nery Ten Hag is not the Manchester United manager, and then they have to really get them the right appointment next time because that club is in danger of turning from the team everyone wanted to play for to one that players will start to shun just because they, they keep getting things wrong. Things that you really can't afford to get wrong. These things will leave a mark. The fact that they've handled the Greenwood and Anthony situations as badly as they have, not going to be forgotten by everyone in football, fans, wider culture. This is going to be a really, really bad period for Manchester United in their history. But I think it's it's also important that clubs are being asked to handle these situations because in the past... It, it gets swept under the carpet. So I'm, I'm for more clubs having to, obviously I don't want, you know, victims to, to go through these situations, but the more these come to light, the more clubs are forced to actually handle these situations and actually get their policies in place properly. Probably in the long term, the better it's going to be for people. Because as I keep saying, this is not the first, you know, Anthony and, and Greenwood are not the first players to do this. We've seen this happen at many clubs. We've seen, you know, a player, you know, in, in London play for an entire season last year mm. where similar situations were, were were occurring. These things happen in, in the Premier League. And one of my biggest issues is when we try and make these footballers into role models. Um, I'm so against making sports people role models because we don't, we're not with them every single day of our lives. And a lot of them are, or, or some of them, should I say, are engaged in things that you would not want a role model, 
you know, to, to be engaged with. And that's just the reality of the situation. And if you think about it, from uh, for, for many of them, from the age when they were maybe 12, 13, they've been told they're the dog's bollocks. They've been told, they've never been told no since they were 12 or 13 because they're the moneymaker. They're going to be the gem that's going to lead either their family, the club or whoever, their agent, you know, to, to big paydays. So this culture probably needs to be fixed at a younger age than necessarily us trying to fix it at the Anthony or Greenwood stage. At that stage, I think the law has to be enforced and obviously that has to take its course. But in terms of fixing this culture in football, especially in the Premier League, we need some sort of organization in terms of what is going to happen with these young players that are, you know, academy players at these clubs growing up, never being told no. It, it just breeds a filthy culture that has been in the Premier League for years. And, 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 and now we're starting to see people stand up and hopefully, um, you know, more people are, are, are brave enough if, if they want to, to share their experiences and, and call these people out. And we can sort of root this, this gross thing out of football. I'm really glad you did call that out. This is, in theory, not new. This is a culture where we are now societally more willing to to have these conversations, kind of shun players that have done things that are, you know, morally abysmal or are alleged to have. I don't, I don't know how, how much we have to couch that, considering we've seen pictures and stuff. But um, no, that, that's a good point. This is not just a Manchester United problem. This is a culture problem that has now happened twice in quick succession at Manchester United. And in theory, hearing about it is better than the years of not hearing about it that pre-existed, although it may, you know, cause uh, secondary trauma or trigger people that have had to live through situations like that. But no, that, that is a good point, um, that this is a larger scale issue than just one individual club. Um, we'll take a break there, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Jamie, we'll start off with you. Um, we were pretty excited talking about Burnley uh, coming into the Premier League season. Probably not the start that many would have hoped for. Uh, currently bottom three in goals scored and uh, worst in goals conceded. Um, still, people are very complimentary of Vincent Company's style. Uh, and it seems like nobody's even considering having the hot seat discussion. But I was just curious if you think this style will still work and the players just need more time, or if you think there's kind of a, a tactical tweak coming down the line. I think it's it's 
it's certainly up for debate. I think the the closest comparison that I can think of to the way that we've tried to play in the Premier League is Leeds under Marcelo Bielsa, right, which had some success, but they ran out of steam, and by the end they were just getting hammered every week and they had to make a change. Um, the concerning thing for me is that when company changes things during a game, we have a tendency to get worse rather than better. Um, but on the flip side, the fixtures haven't been particularly kind. Yes, we played three home games, but Manchester City, Aston Villa, Tottenham is not the easiest start to the season that you could have imagined. We were supposed to play loose and away in the middle of that. We didn't because their stadium wasn't ready. So that's a game where maybe we would have got a result and, and been in a better position than we are now. Um, but I, I wrote in my newsletter last week that I think we've been a bit naive at times, trying to play out from the back all the time, even when we've got players out of position and players who are new to the Premier League and players who are new to our club. And it just seems to be a lot all in one go. I think company maybe should have used some of the players that got us promotion last year. There's players like Josh Brown who barely kicked a ball this season, even though they were starters last season. I'm not sure why he spent so much time on the bench. Um, the, the change to the goalkeeper, the new keeper, James Trafford, who's signed from Manchester City. I, I don't think he's done anything to justify playing instead of Aaron Murich, who was so good for last season. So I think there's arguably quick fixes that could be made to the personnel. But I, I think the tactics of it's just been sort of naive is the only way I can put it because we just keep making the same mistakes, conceding really sloppy goals, getting caught with nowhere near enough defensive players giving the ball away near our own penalty area, you're just going to get punished like that in the Premier League every single time. The positives are that we do look like we're going to score. I know you just said we're towards the bottom for goals scored, but we've scored a couple against Tottenham. We've scored against mm-hmm. Aston Villa. A lot of teams don't do that. Um, and we created chances against Manchester City. We were arguably the best team for the first half of that match and just found ourselves on the end of Erling Haaland doing Erling Haaland things, really. Um, so there have been some positives to take. I think the international break comes at a good time. The company's got two weeks to think about what he actually wants to do, whether he wants to be a bit more pragmatic, whether he wants to potentially get relegated, committed to this style. I think the transfer window was a strange one for us in that we spent a lot of money, so of 90 million to 100 million on players. There's still gaping holes in the squad. We didn't sign a left back. Ian Matson from Chelsea was a target all summer after he was on loan last season. Deadline day, it seemed like the deal was done. He turned it down. We had no backup plan. So now we don't really have a left back. We don't have a natural holding midfielder um, of any renown. We signed a lad who was at Bristol City last season on a free, who's allegedly a holding midfielder. I think it's a big ask for him to be the, the man who's going to do that job. So I think there's, there's issues in the squad that company's going to have to try and solve. On the hoof, I think it's worth remembering that company is still quite an inexperienced manager. He did three years in Belgium, one year in the championship with us. So he's learning as he goes as well. Most of these players have very little Premier League experience. So it's going to be a real learning curve for everyone at the club. But I think there's going to need to be some tactical tweaks because it's we're just conceding far too many sloppy goals. And if you do that too often, you're just going to get relegated. There's no easier way to put it. 
Yeah, I was just curious because I know you mentioned even last season, people were still asking you to hoof the ball. And you're like, we play differently now. And that's when you were yeah. having one of the best championship seasons in memory. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it gets sorted out for you and things kind of turn around here after the international break, as you say. Um, Tad, I'll come to you now to talk about Liverpool. You were probably the first person I talked to that was like, Liverpool are going to have to sign three midfielders. And I think ultimately it ended up being four um, with Shpolazai and Alexis and Endo and Gravenberch. Uh, obviously, they're late in the window. Um, so how are people feeling about that now? It's obviously not the Caicedo Lavias uh, that, that you were linked with and, and had that like two-week craziness around uh, with you and Chelsea. But how do you think people ultimately feel about the midfield you've ended up with? And do you think there's a way that, that Klopp can make sure that it fits into the way he wants to play? Look, that Thursday night at 1 a.m. in the morning, so probably Friday night at 1 a.m. in the morning, when we had, by all accounts, signed Caicedo, it, it was absolutely jumping. Um, from a Liverpool perspective, people were saying we were going to win the league. It, it was quite crazy. And obviously that ends up not being, you know, the case. It, it's I, I don't know if that situation is over, is, is, is all I'll say on that situation. Um, but in terms of what they then have done, look, I think Sobaslia coming in, I think he's he's a phenomenal talent. Um, maybe underrated in the Premier League. I don't know um, if, if other people rate him or not. But from my perspective, he he's one of the young talents in European football. And he's probably going to make the Mohamed Salah sale a lot easier easier to stomach when that eventually happens. I think it's a, a when situation, not an if at this point in time. Um, we bring in McAllister, who seems like an absolute gem. And I guess Liverpool were very fortunate in in how that transpired because before the World Cup, Brighton were thinking, well, we're going to lose this guy on a free. Let's give him a new contract, increase his wages and put in a release clause because, look, no one was expecting him to have the performance he had at the World Cup. Mm, so he wasn't even that, supposed to be there. It was supposed to be Lo Celso. Exactly. So, so at that time, the money they put into the release clause was perfectly fine. You know, we're not going to lose him for free. We're going to get 35-odd million for him. It's a great result. It, it, it's smart business. And he just happened to blow up. And Liverpool happened to know that he had that release clause or find out that he had that re- release clause and sort of... Um, executed on on that transfer so phenomenal signing i think they've they've bought him for way less than what his value is it's going to be interesting to see whether he plays deeper for majority of the time and based on liverpool signings it seems like that's going to be the case he's probably going to play deeper than maybe um he was first envisioned to play um endo the endo signing i think was one of those just admitting that we've gotten the window wrong type of signings where look this is a player that's available it's a dream move for him he would have never thought he was coming to liverpool at 29 years old um from stuttgart he was more than happy at stuttgart it it, it was never going to happen in terms of him he he personally thought it wasn't going to happen in terms of him signing for a big club but it's an easy, easily attainable signing that you you bring in to bring some sort of defensive midfielder into the squad because the ones we wanted to bring in, we weren't able to bring in. 
I do still think he's slightly slow in terms of acceleration. Um, so I, I think players can run away from him. But in terms of defensive intelligence, he's really good. His positioning is really good. And that sort of masks some of the, the acceleration deficiencies that he has. So hopefully he plays an important role for them. Graven Branch is, is, is the interesting one because this is a very unpolished diamond who coming through at Ajax was ridiculously talented, was on the same trajectory as the likes of Jude Bellingham when they were all coming up um, in terms of what people thought about them as prospects. At Ajax, there were complaints from coaches that he didn't apply himself in training. Same thing happened when he, when he moved to Bayern Munich. There were complaints there that he wasn't applying himself in training. Whether Liverpool can get that out of him, we will see. I think the positive thing for Liverpool fans is, one, Klopp really wanted him. And two, Klopp is arguably one of, if not the best player development coaches in world football. And I know I complain about a lot of other things he he doesn't do great, like, you know, now that he's taken over as director of football or de facto director of football at Liverpool, which I'm not happy about. But when it comes to developing players and, and squeezing, you know, their full potential out of them, Klopp is one of the best, if not the best in the world at doing that. So it's an it it, it, it it's exciting from that perspective. What can Klopp get out of this player who's had issues at other clubs but has undoubted potential and undoubted talent? In terms of a midfield rebuild, when, when you look back at it, I, I don't think the club were expecting to lose Henderson or Fabinho this window. But as we spoke about earlier, when the Saudi league comes calling and they're calling at, at prices that you just can't say no to, you end up just making those deals and, and trying to figure it out going forward. So it, I think the midfield for Liverpool is going to be fine this season. The issue and, and how far Liverpool go this season is going to rest with the defence. Um, they didn't bring in enough cover at centre-back. I think, obviously, they, they don't have a, a backup to Trent at right-back, really, when you look at it. Um, I think Robertson is at that awkward stage where he's done a lot for the club, but he's no longer performing at the levels he was performing at. So do you keep him? Do you sell him? Do you start him? Do you, it's, it's, it's very awkward. For, for him at the moment or or for the club at the moment with what they do with him. But based on Liverpool's performances, I, I really think the midfield is going to be fine. They will develop. I, I trust coach when it comes to uh, Klopp when it comes to coaching. That will be fine. I think Sabazlia is going to be low-key, one of the talents of the season, um, but maybe won't get the attention that he might deserve. But the defence for Liverpool, that for me is, is a big worry if the defense mm. can hold on and and stay fit um then liverpool could probably do something special this season but yeah that that's the big concern for them gotcha and then a one second answer will salah eventually go to the saudi league 100 percent, yes got it <laughs> oh maybe let me say 99 percent. sorry I, I've, sure. I've, I've 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 experienced enough football to know not to say 100%, but 99%. <laughs> and just in terms of um, some more depth on that, if I, if, if I can, all parties are very like cordial and, and there's been no issues 
in the discussions that have been had between Salah and and the, the 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 Saudi representatives, Liverpool and the Saudi representatives. This was a deal that could have been done this window. It just came about too late in the window, and eventually the the, the Saudi delegation, you know, admitted, okay, we we can't get this deal done this late. It 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 doesn't favor all parties. But it's a it's Salah's already told Liverpool he wants to go to Saudi Arabia. Liverpool have said it's okay, you can go for a certain fee. The Saudi League wants Salah. I mean, is there a more perfect signing for the Saudi League than Mohamed Salah? Um, so all parties are ready for this deal to happen. It's just, you know, a, a certain fee has to be met. Um, I, I, yeah, so there's a certain fee that needs to be met, which has been made um, known to the Saudi League. We can't necessarily go into details with that. But Salah, in terms of what he wants from them, that's already been sorted out. And from Liverpool's perspective, now is about trying to find a replacement for Salah before he leaves. Um, they kind of have to take a step back to go forwards because they now have to restructure their recruitment department, which has become a bit of a mess at the moment. So they're currently restructuring that and they now have to find a replacement for Salah. But in terms of Everyone's amicable. Everyone is okay with the deal. There's no beef or anything like that, um, which I suppose is good, um, but sad at the same time. I love Salah. It's going to be sad when he leaves, but the fact that everyone sort of knows where everyone stands, it it, it, it bodes well for Liverpool. Gotcha. Well, kind of a mic drop moment there from you here at the end of the show, uh, and that will do it for us today. So if you guys want to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that'd be a good time. Sure, thanks for inviting me as always, Kev. It's always a pleasure. I've been Jamie Smith here talking about Burnley. I write, edit and send the Northern Ever newsletter, which covers Burnley. It goes out on Substack every Monday. And you can also follow my Twitter slash X slash whatever it's called this week at Jamie Smith Board. I will be defined, Jamie. It's Twitter. I'll be defined until the last day. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at TadPredicts. Um, I host the a tad predictable podcast on EPL index. Thanks so much for having me on Kev. Yep. We are also on a nameless website. <laughs> you can find us at EPL Roundtable. You can find me individually at Kevroff. And of course you can find the show by searching it in any of your podcast apps. So uh, anyway, massive thanks to you two again for coming on today and folks at home. We hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.